0: Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Uh, today I'm sharing a message uh, that is not part of a series. Usually I, I have different series that we preach and, and or I share from, and, but this is a, a message I really actually... Um, was laid on my heart back on June 22nd. Pastor Tom, how do you know what date? Because I do my devotions and all of a sudden God just speaks a verse to me and then I just type it up and email it to myself so I don't forget what God is speaking. And, and it was on June 22nd that the Lord just laid this word on my heart. And as, as I was thinking about it, I really felt like this is the, this is the pre-message, this is the sequel uh to the uh, or prequel to the uh to the series next week which is going to be called passion matters but i believe this is the opening for that and it's a scripture that the the message that comes today is a scripture that i read from ha- uh, haggai and i felt impressed to share this with you because i believe it's going to challenge us and it's going to encourage us towards greater passion towards the things of god now, some of you maybe have never heard of the book Haggai that you didn't even know existed in the Bible. You're going to like, what? I've, there's a book called Haggai? Yes, there is. It's the 37th book in the Old Testament. It's the third from the last book of the Old Testament. It contains two chapters. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, the only one shorter is Obadiah, and uh, it has one chapter in the, in, in the Old Testament. But Haggai is considered one of the minor prophets. And I always like not just to share, I like to teach along the process because I think that as we grow in God's word, we grow as people. We got to continue to grow in God's word. And so there's 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, and there's five major prophets. And you might think, you know, maybe that's a level of importance, but it's really not. It's actually just representation of the, of the, the content of each book in the sense of there's five that have a lot of chapters. There's a lot of uh, information there. And then there's 12 minor uh, uh, prophets, uh, Obadiah, Nahum. Uh, there's a bunch of them listed in there that are smaller books. And so they just divide it that direction. Um, Haggai was written about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the purpose of the book was, to, was God's challenge to the people of Israel regarding their priorities. The Israelites had been released from Babylonian captivity 18 years prior. Before, As, as Haggai is writing this, it, they had been released 18 years prior. When they were originally taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar, The Babylonians basically desecrated and they destroyed the temple. This was the temple that Solomon had built. They basically destroyed that temple. They had removed all the silver and the gold from the temple. But then when King Cyrus came in and he captured captured Babylon, he was a, a king from Persia. He comes in, he, he, he captures Babylon, he takes over from King Nebuchadnezzar, he really has a, a, a tenderness towards the Israelites, he has a tenderness towards God, and he releases the Israelites, and he says, hey, you know what, you can go back to Judah or to Jerusalem, and you can start rebuilding your temple. The temple that was stolen, guess what, you can go back and start to rebuild that temple. King Cyrus even allowed the Israelites to take what was originally stolen from the temple, all the silver and the gold. And you can find the history of that in the book of Ezra. So they returned to Jerusalem and they began to restore the temple. But in the process they faced much opposition from the people who had settled there. While while the Israelites were in captivity, other people came in and they settled around there. So they They just had this opposition. They were just constantly being fought against. It just didn't seem like it was just a difficulty. Anybody understand the difficulty sometimes you run into? That's what they're running into. So eventually the work of the temple stopped as the people grew weary. And then they got distracted by just doing their own thing. Unfinished projects. That's a whole other message I'm thinking about talking about. What unfinished project is at your house that you need to go finish? You started it, you had all the zeal, and the passion for it, and then all of a sudden you just kind of started, oh, I just don't have, I don't have time. And you, you get, you know what I'm talking about, the unfinished projects. Think of that in the sense of the Israelites. The temple of God is an unfinished project for 18 years. So then the Lord spoke to Haggai that it was time to stop the delays and start to rebuild his temple. Again, opposition arose against them but King Darius this time, who took over for King Cyrus, King Darius stepped in and, and issued a decree and confirmed that Cyrus's decree to allow the Jews to rebuild this temple, it is correct. So we're going to rebuild this temple. But this time, guess what? Darius goes one step further. He says, you know what? I believe in this. They're not even followers of God. But they have this reverent fear of the Almighty. And they said, I believe in this project so much, guess what? I'm going to pay for all the construction costs. You go and build everything. We're going to supply. We're going to build. You you build it. We're going to pay for it. In fact, whatever animals that you might need for sacrifice, guess what? We're going to provide the animals as well. He got behind the project. So the prophet Haggai was used by God to remind the Israelites about priorities. To remind them that they have unfinished business. It's time to build the temple. It's been 18 years. Let's get started. I want to read the first eight verses of Haggai chapter 1. Remember I told you it was the, the third to the last book in the Old Testament. So turn to Matthew and then start going backwards. Three books. And you'll get to Haggai chapter 1. Verse 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai... To Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Did you hear what the people were saying? The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at, what hap- look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. I know that feeling. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what happening, what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Lord, we pray today that your word will not return void. And we can pray that because your word says it won't. So God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak this word. Let it dig deep into our hearts and into our lives. And let it be a change mechanism for each and every one of us. That your word of God will literally change us, Lord God, to be more like you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, let me share three takeaways that I believe will help you towards living a life that is honoring to God. The first takeaway is this. We need to establish godly priorities. The people were making their own decisions without consulting God. That's what was happening with the Israelites. By their inaction, they were telling, man, Lord, the timing is not right. We know that the temple's not built yet, but God, it's just, the timing's just not right. Can you imagine in 1994 if you walked into Jeff Bezos' garage? If you don't know who Jeff Bezos is, he's the CEO of Amazon. If you would have walked in his garage in 1994 when he started his business and just say, you know what, Jeff, I just don't think the timing is right for you to start an internet shopping thing. It's just not going to work. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's the only illustration I could think of right off the top of my head to think of what it must have been like when all of a sudden the Israelites were not rebuilding God's temple. It's just not the right timing, God. Yeah. Are you kidding? You're going to tell God when the timing is Right? We do it every day. I'm not trying to beat us up today. If I'm beating you up, I'm beating myself up, okay? So just, I'm with you on all this. But it's just a reminder for us. It's God's timing. People are trying to instruct God in his timing, building his house. And you can read in the scripture, God was frustrated. He's watching people living in luxury while his temple is literally sitting in ruins. Priorities. Priorities. God needed to teach his people priorities. Amen. If you want to live a life that is fulfilling and complete, then make sure your priorities align with God's priorities. Yeah. Amen. Some of you have come to me and asked me, man, Pastor Tom, how do I get my family head in the right direction? How, how do I, I want to live a life that when I look back I can say, man, I fulfilled the things in my life that I wanted to do. How do I do that? That's the equation right there. If you want to live a life that's fulfilling and complete, then make your priorities align with God's priorities. Amen. And watch what will happen. Amen. As we read that passage of scripture, God tells the people, you planted much but harvest little. You, you're, not, you, you're not satisfied at all. Your wages disappear as though you have holes in your pockets. And, and look, look at what's happening to you guys. The people couldn't find satisfaction. Why? Because they didn't have the right priorities. In the following verses of chapter one, God shares how he had lifted his blessings from their homes because they basically had forgotten about God's house. Why would God lift his blessings? Because he needed to redirect their priorities to what really mattered. I read a story the other day about a young man. He wanted to test his brand new sports car, so he decided he wanted to take it up to a mountainous road and And it had a lot of different curves on it to test it. And as he's entering into one of the curves, he's coming into it. He's coming way too hot, way too fast. He realizes it and he decides, man, I got to bail out. It's about ready to go off the cliff. So he opens his door. He bails out. But his left arm gets caught as he's bailing out. And his arm is literally severed from his body. And then this car that is following him sees all that's taking place. So he stops to try to help the person. But the young man is already standing up and he's looking down this cliff. My new car, my new car, my new car. The guy that got out of the car to help him, he says, You're worried about your new car? Your left arm is severed from your body. He looks back down the cliff and goes, My new Rolex, my new Rolex, my new Rolex. Funny story, but priorities. (laughs) So many times we get what's really important in life backwards. We start minoring on the majors and majoring on the minors. It's like, wait, 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 wait. We need to get our priorities straight. I see it happen every day in life. I've seen people who are more concerned about keeping their position in the choir. We don't have a choir. They're more concerned about keeping their position in the choir than about the extramarital affair that they're having with the little girl on the soprano there on the front row. I've seen it in church. I'm serious. Priorities. I watched the new, have any of you guys watched the new Marvel movie? What's that called? What's Yeah, Shang-Chi or something. It's pretty cool, actually. But there was a line in that new Marvel movie. It says, if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. And I thought about that. I thought, man, sometimes life can be that way. We all of a sudden get so comfortable, so complacent that all of a sudden we realize that we're really not aiming at anything. And we're not really hitting anything. And then when we get older, we think, man, I just, my life doesn't feel that fulfilled. You see, when you aim at something, when you align your priorities with God's priorities, all of a sudden you're hitting the target. You're hitting the bullseye. And you can look back on life and say, man, Lord, thank you for leading me. Thank you for guiding me. Thank you for directing me. Because guess what? All of a sudden, you are being powerful and effective. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Priorities. Priorities. Are we missing what's really important in life? I believe God wants to expand our reach from our kingdom to his kingdom. He wants our focus on his house. Have we become too comfortable in our lives? Has, God t- has, has God's priorities taken a backseat to my own priorities? Are we missing what's important in life? We need to do everything that we can to make a difference in God's kingdom. We do. We do. Am I reaching people with God's love? Am I taking time just to stop in the backyard when a neighbor comes by? I'm speaking to myself right now. I'm a task guy. If you don't know that, I am. Am I just stopping enough to just be able to talk to people? To love people? To hear the person's problem, their difficulties? To pray for a person? To reach out and touch someone that needs to be touched? Priorities. This passage of scripture is a great reminder that God cares about his house. And he desires that his house is productive and it's fruitful. And I rem- may, may I remind you this truth, because sometimes we get this confused. God's house is you. Yeah, we have a beautiful church building. We've been doing some remodeling. We have a new gro- uh, a room that we're going to call a team room. We've remodeled the restrooms finally and, and got some things done. So we have a beautiful place to come to worship and to fellowship. But, man, let me remind you, this is not God's house. This is God's house in the sense of a building, but God's house is you. His Spirit resides in you. In Acts chapter two, we just got through that series. God sent His Spirit to dwell in the hearts and the lives of people, effectively making His home in your heart, in your life. So the question I ask: How's God's house? How's your house? How's God's house? Is it complacent? Has it fallen behind? Maybe your life is like the temple in the story that lies in ruins. It needs to be rebuilt. Man, if it is, can I tell you something really positive? God is the master builder. He's the one that one brick at a time, he can change your life around. All you have to do is put your trust in him and say, man, God, I'm going to choose to follow you, Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes into your life through the spirit. And one brick at a time, he just starts taking those things that are faulty, that are cracked. He says, "Ah, I'm going to replace it with this. I'm going to replace that with this. I'm going to replace that with this. And all of a sudden, you look back and you say, you're a changed person. What happened? You allowed God to start rebuilding your life from the inside out. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. But the repairs require that we obey God's calling. We can't just hear the word of God and then choose not to respond. I can't resist. If you didn't hear uh, Pastor Brett's message last week, Marco. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. Call and response. Brett, that was a powerful word that you spoke. Obey God's calling. We have to have a passion and a zeal for God's word. We can't view obedience to God as an, as an add-on to our life. Some people treat God like, like an extra feature. You know, you go out and buy a new car. And you know, man, I needed the tinted windows. Oh, and I've, I really, I've always wanted those seat warmers. Can you add that feature onto my car? And you know they have this thing now where literally you can push a button and it parks your car for you? Like a parallel park. Yeah. That's a cool feature. I need it. Yeah, you need- yeah, you do need it. I've seen your parking job. You do need that. But might <laughs> <laughs> have to raise some money for you, man, Latasha. We'll get it. Sometimes we treat God like an added feature. We have our life all together. We're doing all these wonderful things. We're doing, hey, oh yeah, you know what? That God thing, that church thing, can we add that on to my life? It never works that way. You'll, you'll never find fulfillment that way. You see, God is the vehicle. You need to jump into the vehicle and take a ride with God. Amen. It's not an added feature. He is the, he is the I am. He is everything. He, he is the one that created me. He is the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the God almighty. He's the one that created you. Don't you think he can change you? He can. But he won't do it without your permission. It's, w- it's our willingness to make a choice. To follow Jesus, not just sometimes, when it's convenient, but all the time. Look how the Israelites responded to Haggai's prophecy in verses 12 and 13. Chapter 1, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtai, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak. I'm messing up those names probably, that's okay. The high priests, the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord, their God, had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the high priest, and the remainder of God's people responded by obeying God's word. In verse 12, it states that there was a reverent fear. It's the kind of fear that responds with humility and respect. And I love the last part of verse 13. When the Lord saw the response, when he saw that there was a brokenness, when there was a willingness, oh Lord, we, we recognize it's your voice. We recognize that we've been complacent. We recognize that we haven't been following your word. When they all of a sudden step out in faith and they start to obey, the Lord responded with this message, I am with you. Amen. Shouldn't this be the greatest desire in our life? To know that God is with us, to know that his presence is leading us, not just through the good times, but even through the difficult times, to have that confidence in our lives that God hasn't forsaken us, that he's with us, he's leading us, he's guiding us. In Exodus, when Moses was given the daunting task to to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, Moses replied, who am I? And God responded, I will be with you. When Joshua was given the impossible mission to enter into the promised land, when the enemy looked so daunting, so overwhelming, God said, do not be frightened for the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go. Before the Israelites were taken into captivity, this is the story that we're talking about. They were taken into captivity into Babylon. Now we're talking about they've been released. But before they were even taken into captivity, God spoke through the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And he shared with the people, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. What a powerful word to share with the people that are about ready to go into captivity. It's a great word for us to remember during this pandemic. Let's not be discouraged. Let's not walk in fear. For the Lord, our God, is with us. I want, I want us to say that if you're willing to say that with me. I want, to, I want you to say these words, for the Lord my God is with me. I want, you to, I want you to verbally say that. For the Lord my God is with me. One more time. For the Lord my God is with me. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have chosen to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? God's presence is with you wherever you go. There is nothing for you to fear. What a powerful word that God gave us. He is our strength at all times, and especially in times of trouble. So let's step out in faith and let's obey his word. The last takeaway that I want to share with you today. Trust God for the future. What are you trusting for your future? It better be God. As you read through chapter 2 of Haggai, you discover God's promise of blessing is for those who obey. But the rebuilding of the temple, seemed just a, it just seemed like an overwhelming task. Something that was almost unreachable. And look at what God tells Haggai to convey to Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the people. Haggai chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be, be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong. All you people still left in the land. And now get to work. I, I love God. Get to work. I tell, I tell my staff that sometimes. Guys, stop goofing off. Get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. See, that's the difference. When I tell my staff to get to work, I go to my office and lock my door. God says, get to work. He's right there with your presence. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. It's been almost 60 years since the destruction of the temple. And the temple I'm talking about was a temple that Solomon built. Some of the older people that were, that were amongst them, that were getting ready to rebuild the temple, they would have remembered back to the original temple that Solomon had built. They had been in the temple. They had seen the temple. And if you don't remember, see, King David was going to build the temple. He had prepared all the stuff. He had pr- gathered all the gold and the silver and, and the brass and the timbers and ev- those stones. And they had cut it. They had it all prepared. And then God shut it down and says, no, no, your hands are too bloody. You can't build my temple. And all of a sudden, I'm going to let your son Solomon build my temple. And so then Solomon comes in and he builds this magnificent temple. It's just gorgeous. It says in Kings that it literally, the inside, the entire inside of the temple is overlaid with gold. Think about that. Now it's been destroyed. It sits in ruins. And they're building the foundation. And the people that remember back to the former, we're looking at it. And it literally says in Ezra that they started to weep. Not with tears of, of, of joy, but with really tears of sadness. How, could we ever, how can we ever rebuild this? T- how could we ever do it? It's an impossible task. In the scripture, basically the Lord tells the people not to compare the past to the present. Because he's doing a new work. Be strong in my presence. We do ourselves a disservice when we try to compare the past to the present. God doesn't want us to dwell in the past. He wants us to look forward into the future. We can't control the past. I'm going to say that again. We can't control the past. We can't control the past. But we can control what our future looks like with Christ. The Lord tells the people, now get to work for I am with you. You can never move into the destiny of your future by dwelling in your past. And I, just real quick, I want to just commend a Many of you here today who've had a long past. Some of you older ones here today. I'm getting into that group. I commend you for keeping your eyes f- toward the future. To trust that God has the future in His command. You're trusting Him. Look at what the Lord tells the people of Israel in Haggai 2.9. He says, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. I love that last part. When God speaks, it's done. You might not know it in your heart yet, but it's done. So many times God's promises of the future can be hidden in the clutter of our past. All of a sudden, the clutter of the past hides what God's trying to do in our lives. And God desires that you let go of the past and trust him with your future. And when I say let go of the past, I'm talking about the good and the bad. Not just the bad. I'm even talking about the good. See, these guys weren't struggling with the bad things in the past. They were struggling with the things that were so great. The older leadership couldn't fathom how Haggai's prophecy could ever come true. How can the future of this temple ever be greater than what Solomon had built? They couldn't erase what they've already seen. In their minds, the thought of rebuilding a temple, impossible. Because of their thinking, they lost their passion. They lost their zeal for the things of God. They became complacent with God. And sometimes we get there. I just have to be honest with you. Sometimes your pastor can get there. They just go like, and I, be, I feel it in my spirit. I'm becoming complacent. And the Lord wake, awakens me. Was, you know how he this is a word, a word for some of you Just you know how the Lord awakens me through his word I pray Lord reveal to me and all of a sudden I'm reading God that's why I press to you guys read your word don't read it like a book of novel that you just kind of get through oh that's a good book no you read it like it's the word of life that sort of step into your life it's the word of Christ into your life and then all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit just starts to mix that word with the power of the Spirit it starts to change you because they're thinking they lost their passion they lost their zeal they became complacent we as believers we have to learn to put our faith and trust in His word we can't just live by what we see. We have to live by faith, trusting God for the future. Look at Haggai's, Haggai's prophecy. It was for future glory. That future glory that he was talking about there in verse 9, it was pointing to Jesus' arrival as Savior. How God would soon fulfill his promise by sending his son Jesus Christ into this, into this world and it was going to shake the heavens and the earth we just finished a sermon series on the book of Acts and one of the consistent themes within that book was the inability of the religious leaders to let go of the past so that they could embrace Jesus. They had such a struggle to, re- to let go of everything, they- the law of Moses, everything that they had built into their lives, the religious system that they had built, they had such a struggle to let go of their past that they missed sa- the Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, my encouragement for all of us is let's get to work what do we need to unt- Pastor? What do, Pastor? We, yeah, we're going to have a work day on this building. I'm talking about the work day in your life. Let's get to work. Let's step out in faith. Let's put our trust in God. Let's not let the circumstances dictate our future. You see, the Israelites, they were allowing these different things that were coming against them to start to dictate their future. And God said, I've i have eno- I've, I've had enough. Stop. Somehow you're figuring out how to build your beautiful homes. But yet my, my home stays, no, no, this, enough is enough, guys. You, come on, parents. <laughs> yeah. If your room doesn't get cleaned, that's where God is at. Clean your room, man. Not your room, my room. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in you. God's temple represents you, represents me. It represents all of us who have our faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 10 through 15, Paul compares our lives. And I want you to catch this because he, I didn't read that. I encourage you to read it for yourself in chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. He starts to, to, to look at the splendor of the temple, all the gold, the silver, all those things. And, and 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 Paul starts to, to share in the, the rich and valuable uh, metals that were previously adored within the temple now represents the gifts of God's spirit within you. And all the things that you do, all the works that you put your effort to with God's help, all of a sudden those are the gifts that God adores. Those are the things like gold and silver. those are the things that will last for all of eternity. Those are the things that when we go through the fire, those things will not disappear. Everything else that we've tried to accumulate of things will disappear. But the things that will last forever are the investments that we make in the lives of people, and where people's lives are changed by the powerful message, the good news of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, and we are forgiven of our sins by his wonderful grace. We can can live. That's my message today. I've given you the call. How are you going to respond? Sorry, Brett, I had to use that. That that message has been messing me up all week this week. How are you going to respond? I'm going to pray here in just a second. But I want to share something with you. It's a little different message. Next week we start a new series I just really was placed on my heart, Passion Matters. If you look through the Bible, I'm, a, I'm kind of revealing some of it right now. Passion in the Bible is not always a good word. A passion of the passion, you know, the lust of our flesh. It just talks about passion more of a negative way. But I felt in my spirit the Lord just say, man, what would happen if, we, if you as a church, if my God's people had a passion for me? And if you're living life right now and you feel like you've just been coasting things just seem like not enough you buy the new puppy and the puppy doesn't fulfill you, you buy the new car and the car doesn't fulfill you, you buy the new house, the house doesn't fulfill you I know what's wrong the only thing that truly can fulfill this thing that God created in us, our soul is Him and we're going to do a series on passion and I'm going to talk about things that we need to be passionate about our families, our spouses, God, our lives. And I want to really try to awaken us to another level where we're going to step out in faith and we're going to find fulfillment like never before, and we can do it right in the midst of a pandemic. I'm so tired of this stupid pandemic, I'm just, I'm not saying it's not real, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm just tired of it. And my God is greater than any pandemic. And I'm not going to fear a pandemic. I'm going to step out in faith and believe and put my trust in Him. That's enough. Ah, Lord, we thank You for today. Lord, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. God, I pray in all of our lives today that, Lord God, priorities will be something that sinks deep into our lives that maybe if there's any area of my house when I say my house I'm talking about your house in me Lord God if there's any place in God's house where we become complacent lackadaisical indifferent uncaring unloving unforgiving if there's any place there God, for me today, for me in my house, I give you permission to start working in my life. And I pray for everybody here today that they will make that same step. God, start working in my life in a new and a fresh way. Give me a new passion for the things of you. So, Lord, my life can make a difference. And that, Lord, my life might be saved. That that day, Lord, when you call me home, I will have confidence and have complete knowledge knowing that I will meet you on that day. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we give you this day in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said? Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast, because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources.